All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 122. Jason Lindgren is with me today and the Reverend Todd Drew. Uh, Interesting. For those who remember in the last episode, I put out a call for any high-ranking Freemason to come on the show. Uh, As many are familiar, I've taken kind of umbrage with the idea of the great work or calling people who are not part of a fraternity profane these types of ideas. And uh, the Reverend Todd Drew came on and graciously answered all the questions we have. We get into some interesting topics, everything from Lucifer to Satan to Archons to Gnostic ideas. Primarily in the first hour, Jason and I ask questions about what it's like to be a Mason, how he started, the things that go on in a lodge. And in the second hour, we get more into Gnosticism. Anyhow, it's a very interesting episode, and I hope you all stick around for the second hour, which we now call the Free Speech Zone. Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason and the Reverend Todd. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crew 777 Radio. This is episode 122. I have Jason Lingren with me, and we have an interesting guest today, Mr. or the Reverend Todd Drew, who Jason will uh, introduce in a moment here. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. How goes it? I'm having a great day, and I think we have a very interesting show that folks should find quite intriguing. Yeah, I would say it's a little off the beaten path uh, to have a reverend of Gnosticism and a ranking Freemason all in the same guest is is an interesting day for me, too. But do we have anything for the intro? Just the two shows you did this past week? Okay, yeah. So on the same day, I accidentally booked two shows. I was sitting in front of the mic quite a while that day. I did Sun and Moon Family United, and then I did Iron Realm Media, which is always fun. Do it from time to time. Uh, those links to both those things are posted on my Twitter, which is just Crow Triple Seven. Um, you know, I don't communicate using Twitter, so everyone knows. I just announce things like this. Anyhow, anything else for the intro, Jason? I think we're good to go. All right, let's maximize our time. Why don't you go uh, introduce the Reverend Todd Drew? Yes, we uh, we have the Reverend Todd Drew with us today. He is a 32nd degree Freemason of the Southern Jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite, and he is an ordained minister with the Gnostic Rites. So, Todd, welcome. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, Crow, for having me on. It's such an honor. All right, so let's start with your Freemasonic background. Go ahead and uh, let people know what exactly it means. What does it mean to be a Freemason, and what have you been through as far as the Freemasonic rites? I began my journey in Freemasonry in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, and shortly after I became, or was raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason, within a year or so, I became a Scottish Rite Mason as well, 32nd degree. And that's essentially how it got started. And just so everyone knows, a Master Mason means you have reached the third degree in your Blue Lodge, which also is your Home Lodge. And a lot of folks stop right there. The first degree, second degree, third degree, they're considered a Master Mason. That's it. A lot of people don't go any further. If someone wishes to continue a Freemasonic journey, they may choose the York Rite or the Scottish Rite, and you chose the Scottish Rite. Or both. Can you do both? I I was was unaware of that. Absolutely. I've done both. I'm also a bleak to the... Third, there's four degrees, I believe, in, this, in the York Rite, and I went to the third of that as well. Yes, or you can do both. Okay, very interesting. I actually didn't know that. But as far as the Scottish Rite, you got up to the official 32nd, and there is a 33rd that's considered an honorary degree that I believe you have to be specially chosen and then go to Washington, D.C. to the temple there and all that sort of thing. But anyway, even at 32nd degree, you should be fairly familiar with a lot of the inner workings of Freemasonry in general, I would say, right? I would say I have a fair amount of knowledge, yeah. All right, so, Crow, do you want to start off asking any questions about Freemasonry? 
Sure. Um, just give people an idea one more time. Maybe if we just talk in terms of months or years, um, how long did it take you to become an entered apprentice to make it up to the 32nd degree? About 90 days, or maybe a little over 90 days. Let's just say four months, essentially, uh, because there you know, is a catechism in between that there's some memory work that takes place in between to kind of prove your understanding of the degree that you just took place in before you move on to the next degree. I did want to mention um, that the, uh, when Jason was talking about the degrees in the 32nd degree, the highest, it is universally recognized that the third degree is the highest degree in Freemasonry. Everything else is just an enhancement to that. So no matter what direction you go in, the third degree Master Mason is the highest degree attainable in Freemasonry. So when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had uh, people that I was in with who went into certain industries where it's very common for the average blue-collar worker to be in a lodge. And I was surprised to hear this, what you just said, how quickly people reach these what most outsiders would probably consider upper degrees. Um, yes. So, I mean, what's it come down to? Like tests or something like that? Do you, do you literally study and then take a test? Is that how it works? Well, Crow, the, the thing to remember is, and this is why it it seems like when you hear 32nd degree, why it seems so grandiose is because back in the day before we had the modern vehicles and things that we use currently for travel, people used to have to travel a good distance in order to get to a lodge or a Scottish Rite. So they, they would not get these degrees all at once. Like now, of course, we got, you know, a Scottish Rite right up the street. We got, you know, vehicles that can get us there in 10 minutes. And so it, it sped things up. But these things, I mean, there were there were Masons that died at the 14th degree. There were, you know, because it, they were progressively going through them in a slower manner because of just the sheer technology that was available to them. So that, you know, that's why it kind of it seems like a big deal because it, 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 it is a big deal. But we just because we, we've been able to speed it up over the years. I guess it's it's a reflection of the modern times, huh? Everything has speeded up with technology, so yeah. that's an that's an interesting description to me. Um, so you are still active as a Freemason and also uh, as a as a Gnostic Reverend. Very active, yes. I, less active in the less active in my physical lodge, and much more active in the esoteric world. That uh, what I would consider like my peer group. Um, or people uh, that I'm, I'm reaching out to communicate what I personally gained as a result of these initiations that I've gone through. Do you feel like your involvement with Freemasonry is what led you into Gnosticism, or is that a separate thing that happened in uh, your life? I would definitely say, you know, to, to be frank, I, uh, as I look back, hindsight being 2020, I've always been Gnostic. Uh, the uh, I just didn't have the ability to communicate as well as. I can now over the years because I was and still am in a state of seeking, but this provides a language that, that I believe I can at least somewhat logically communicate to another where they, we can walk away with some degree of commonality and understanding. So we actually met because I did a shout out on the last episode that we did uh, asking for a ranking Freemason to come on and talk about things like the great work. Uh, over the course of the show Jason and I have done or the shows, uh, we have found time and again where some of the people who seem to not be helping the common man too much are high ranking Freemasons, which is where we began to kind of question what the great work has become. 
I'm, you know, having talked to you offline, I think that what you're about to say when I ask you from your point of view, what is the great work, probably what the great work was more intentionally defined as originally. From my point of view, I think the people that are high, high up in the highest reaches of Freemason leadership, maybe that the, the great work means something different to them. I don't know if you agree with that, but can you take a shot at describing what you feel the great work is? I think, Crow, your, your description's fair in the, in the sense that um, when you say high-ranking, right, when you say high-ranking, that is an indicator in and of itself that, uh, the, you know, when you say high-ranking, it's almost like saying, rather than saying the furthest in, you're saying the furthest out. And so, naturally, you know, these, the, this, and I'm not speaking for all high-ranking Masons because I know many that are very upstanding individuals that do seek inner work yeah, and, and practice inner work and teach inner work. So, uh, which is right there back again with the, with the term that you use, the great work. However, if an individual, you know, human beings are where they are, and if they are seeking positions of power and positions of uh, authority, uh, these things, this just simply demonstrates where they are and how deep they are into material identification, if that helps. Well, actually, that's a great description. You know, we've recently touched on uh, on natural law quite a bit, and it's the idea of flattering titles, isn't it? And as we move forward towards the second hour and we get over into the Gnostic ideas that you can bring to the table, uh, we're going to find that a lot of, of almost any spiritual endeavor you can find in this world, it's a similar path. It's about working on yourself. It's just that some... Some paths that people follow state that as more uh, more a reason to be there than others. And as we will probably cover as we get in, there's a lot of ceremony and uh, parading around um, in a lot of the modern belief systems. But absolutely to, to get to cut back to the chase, can you just quickly define uh, the great work from your point of view? Well, you described one aspect of it. One aspect of it is you know seeking that the you know, one individual can take the path of seeking. Like you said, grandiose titles, uh, positions of power. Um, uh, th to them, this is the great work. That is, that is, and and that's not exclusive to Freemasonry. That's in any organization that you that you that you have. I don't care if it's the Methodists, if it's the Presbyterians, if it's uh, within Judaism. Uh, all of the, the, these, the this same dual potentiality for a single concept is always there, and it really comes down to maturation. When an individual has had enough, and when they have had enough, they're willing to look in the mirror. And that is the beginning of the great work. Now, it has always been my understanding that if you wish to join the Freemasons in any way, shape, or form, you have to have a spiritual belief before you would even be accepted to become an entered apprentice. Is that correct? That is correct. You, you do have to acknowledge some form of higher power than yourself. That is correct. So just to be specific, you don't have to belong to an organized religion, but you do have to acknowledge the existence of some sort of spiritual hierarchy? Yes, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Uh, hierarchy is a, a tough word for me, but yes, I do, I, do, uh, I do acknowledge what you're saying. Well, I'm just curious if you can disclose it. How do they ask you that? Oh, it's blatantly asked on the petition, which is a published thing that anybody that wanted to petition a lodge could read. So it's, it's, it's on the petition that you acknowledge. A, you know, a belief in a, in a superior being or a higher self, so to speak. Can you give us the breakdown of when someone decides they want to become a Freemason? What do you do? 
if someone wants to be a Freemason, they, they have to ask. They have to they have to petition a, a lodge in order to be a member. So that so just so in other words, you know, somebody would find an interest. Maybe they had a, a relative, a uh, a close friend, someone that they found some value in, and they discovered that this was some you know something they were involved in, and maybe that they wanted to be involved in it. Maybe they just it just out of sheer curiosity from negative publicity that they've heard or positive publicity that they've heard. Uh, it could be a, a number of things that would attract an individual to uh, the mysteries of Freemason. So the way I understand it is you, you have to approach them. I've, I've always uh, heard that. Does it have to be any specific individual when you say petition the lodge? Do you have to go speak to the head of the lodge or the worshipful master? Any master mason has the potential to uh, distribute a petition to a, to a seeker that, that, that seeks the, the membership of the lodge. And are you brought into the lodge to discuss it with them, or is it just a piece of paper or papers that they bring to you? How does that work? Well, yeah, I don't want to get into the specifics of how that process works, because that is an internal lodge process. But it's like anything, there's an administrative aspect that takes place once an individual. There's a whole process of vetting that takes place in, in order to determine, including a voting, you know, on the individual. So it's just like essentially any any uh, fraternal order that you're joining, you're going to go through this process. And you need at least two people on your side to vouch for you. Is that correct? Generally, that is the uh, that is uh, I believe that is what the petition states. Is there's two signatures. I'll jump in here. So it sounds like you're not going to find many atheists in a Masonic Lodge, but uh, I, I would like to ask, from your point of view, um, at the, hmm, how, how would I state it, the the average membership of a typical lodge, would you estimate that most of those people are blue-collar in there, or do you see a different division? I would clearly say the bulk of them are are, are blue-collar. That, that's, that's been my experience. Now, of course, you go, to, depending on which region, you could have white-collar. could be a predominantly white-collar group. It just depends on the region. I live in a vast majority uh, blue-collar town, and that's, that is generally the bulk of the, of the membership. Yeah, Jason and I have spent a lot of time taking umbrage with probably what would be considered the highest reaches or the most the highest in stature uh, of our society that call themselves Freemasons, like a CEO or a banker, where we've been able to show that what they're engaged in, in terms of commerce and business, is really not helpful um, to the average person in society. But we've pointed out time and again that the average person you ever bump into in a lodge is just your next door neighbor trying to hash out a living like anyone else. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's a, a key critical point. Um, and, you know, in, in some of the past episodes, like when we did central banking, uh, time and again, we would show a, a speech by a very high-ranking individual in a central bank, and there they are, you know, stated 33rd degree Freemason. And we began to to ask things like, you know, is, is the average Mason's idea of what the great work is something different than these people who are up at that level? And we came to the conclusion that it must be. But I lost my thread, Jason. There was a, a thing we wanted to address. Can you recall? Well, when we were getting into the concept of the great work, it sounds to me like the Reverend looks at it very alchemical in the sense that it's inner work, inner transformation. You're trying to advance yourself to a higher spiritual place. But what we have been discussing is that there seems to be a small sect somewhere in the hierarchy of Freemasonry, where they might have a little bit more of a devious side to them. Right. It's it's hard to imagine that that 
I mean, from the average viewpoint, I would estimate um, that a person who claims to be working on their inner self uh, to the benefit of all humanity would be engaged in things like central banking. But it led into other areas that we could see, like the idea that um, I think most lay people who have nothing to do with Freemasonry are familiar with the idea that uh, if you're not a Freemason within the circles of Freemasonry, that person would be considered profane. And we, we began to logically break this down. Well, wait a minute. Since there are so few women in Freemasonry, that would mean almost everyone's mother who is a Freemason is profane, and logically these things don't work out. Um, can you address that at all? I'm glad you mentioned the word profane. Um, frankly, the bulk of the membership, you know, I hesitate to use the word profane, but they, they are uneducated in these matters. They are an individual sees what they want to see, and they hear what they want to hear. And they, uh, perception is reality. So they're getting out of it what they want. And this is with anything. We all do this. Everyone does this. We, we project onto something what we want and, uh, and, you know, and then see it as that, uh, rather than, you know, because that is the, like I said, we talked about the maturation process of an individual and we do childish things in the beginning. And then the hope and the idea is, is that we grow up to be an adult human being. And so, uh, and put away the childish things. And I'm not talking about the eternal child that's within all of us. I'm talking about childish behavior. And so, uh, the so essentially, the people that approach the mysteries of Freemasonry are approaching it from an an ignorant, childlike standpoint. And so. That's going to be at the beginning and throughout the process, especially if an individual is just totally satisfied with fish fries and uh, and 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 mingling with other brothers and 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 you know participating in degree work and things like that, and they don't take it and digest it, then you know you're so so that it's just like Catholicism. I mean, Catholicism or any other any other uh, ism, so to speak. Is that you're you're going to everybody is at different levels, even though you you blanket it with a with a, a particular term, just like you know you can't distinguish all Catholics as Jesuits, and also you cannot you cannot take a uh, a blueprinted concept like Freemasonry or Catholicism and then directly associate the follower or the practitioner of that with that as if they are one and the same. That's not that's not the case at all. Now, I think it's safe to say that the majority of folks who are joining a Freemasonic Lodge, it's like a good old boys club. It's it's a social event, and they try to do community work and that sort of thing. But it is my understanding from numerous sources that the first three degrees, as you're going through them, you're basically swearing blood oaths to uphold the mysteries of Freemasonry. And each one of the degrees has a different way that death will be brought upon you if you betray the secrets. I don't know if that's something you're comfortable discussing or not, but I do understand that to be the truth. To be honest with you, that that is something that is widely available uh, out there on the internet, where you can research what the the, the just you know the the logistics of that is. I believe that that the 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 purpose of the obligation has a very high purpose, much higher than that is seen. From its surface, superficial level, uh, it has a it has a superficial level, and then you know as the individual contemplates and processes these these things, it it expands. Um, it it uh, 
And, uh, you know, it's, uh, let me read you, a, if I may, I'd like to read you a quote by Carl Jung. I think it might be appropriate to, to share this. May I share this quote? Oh, absolutely. There is no coming to consciousness without pain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. That's Carl Jung. So dark matters is what jars an individual into consciousness. And that is the, you know, that is the crux of it. People, uh, you know, uh, it, sometimes it takes a jolt to get somebody woke up. And have you been keeping up with the, uh, the new show called uh, Lodge 49? No, actually, I'm not familiar with that. Highly, highly recommend that show. It's on, um, I believe it's shared on Hulu, but it's an AMC original. And they're, they're like into their, I believe they just released their fourth episode. Uh, but it, uh, it, 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 it demonstrates this quite nicely. And I, like I said, it without subtle, because it, it, to, to get us into a, uh, you know, it's like, for instance, let me just give you an example of, of, of a, of a kind of a brutal situation that awakened what's recognized as a a really decent human being, and that was Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi was on a train bound for South Africa on first class, and he was a a lawyer. He was a a high-end lawyer from London, uh, but the South Africans saw him as a, um, uh, a minority that was very undesirable. And when he resisted moving, when he, the, the conductor came back and asked him to move to the back that he did not belong in first class, regardless of the ticket that he brought, when he resisted, he wound up getting thrown out in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. And this began his journey into activism. Uh, he, uh, it, 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 you know, it wasn't until he was personally impacted that he got it. And that's the sad reality with human beings. We are it, it, it's a dream, and it's a wonderful dream until that dream turns into a nightmare. And then all of a sudden, we want to pinch ourselves and wake up. Right. So going with your idea that the degrees are more symbolic, what would you say that the higher purpose of them are then? The purpose of the degree is to introduce one to themselves. That is the absolute purpose of the degree is to is for, for, for an individual. We are born into a world. We have a name thrown upon us. That you know is a, is a name. Mine's Todd. Yours is Jason. We got Crow here. We given these names, but that 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 name doesn't identify us. That's an after the fact deal. And so an individual has you know well, like you've talked about quite a bit with the straw man. Our physical self is kind of like a straw man to a degree, or it can be treated that way because we're disconnected from our physical self. And so the idea is to bring one in connection, so we don't. We really embrace the the physical aspect of ourself and the spiritual aspect of ourself as to bring that into union. That is the ultimate goal. So, would you say a Freemason is pursuing light, further light? Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that the light, it, it more more light and further light, absolutely. Yeah. So, so an ongoing, a continual process of understanding to bring light to a dark uh, understanding. 
I can see where Jason's about to go here. <laughs> um, go, go, go there. Go there. Well, go there. Let's do yeah, it. <laughs> it's, it's like any other term in this world, right? Um, you know, it can have more than one meaning. But uh, before Jason goes down the road, I think he's about to, uh, I, I want to ask this to get it on the record. So is it your sense that the average run-of-the-mill Mason in a lodge um, feels like they're working for the benefit of all living beings? Or is it more about to heck with that for now, I'm working on myself. That's based on the individual. It's it's what the individual desires, just like we talked about earlier. An individual will project onto whatever it is what they want to see. Because if it's if it's desirable, you know, they will overlook the positive or the negative, they'll accentuate the positive, and they won't worry about the mystery in between, you know. And so that that's you know but it really depends on what the intent of the individual now the individual is generally only aware of their conscious mind but that you know there is an unconscious mind that is active as well whether they realize it or not so that's the big crux is what is the intention of the subconscious what what does the subconscious or the unconscious mind want to experience by or what is it bringing the conscious mind to in order to achieve an experience can you define light for me from the Freemasonic point of view and not from the Gnostic point of view? Light is light. Light is darkness. Uh, light, light, where, where, where there was once darkness, light is now revealing that which was once hidden. I can't think of, I can't think of any, anything, anything better to describe it like that. I, right, but how does it equate with the concept of knowledge and enlightenment and hidden knowledge and the mystery schools and all of that sort of thing? Right. Um, the, so if we're talking about like the occult, for instance, the occult means hidden or secret knowledge, right? We, we, we can agree on that. Oh, sure. That's the meaning of, of occult, right? So, so the, 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 the average person, like Carl Jung pointed out earlier, resists knowledge of their soul. They don't want to deal with that because with great power comes great responsibility. And so the, the average individual... You know, it, 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 they um, uh, light to them is I'm really good because this is really leading into some good stuff. And I'm really glad that you brought this up. Sometimes we think we want to know something, but when it comes right down to it, we'll do everything we can to avoid knowledge, even though we act like we're pursuing it. Because sometimes the knowledge is, is, is a little difficult to bear. True knowledge of, of, of actual truth is very difficult to bear. But you asked what the light was, and, I, and, I, and I've done my best to describe that. I mean, if I can do any more, but it, it, it is simply the purpose. The, the individual is, 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 is seeking. They have experienced life. They've experienced many, many things, and they want to seek more than what they've been exposed to. They believe that there's more underlying this reality than what is initially presented to them. How did your concept and your view of Freemasonic light change from the home lodge to your 30th, 31st, and 32nd degrees? If anything, it just reinforced what I already understood, you know, what was already in me that was driving me towards these, these, um, the, these exposures and these experiences. It just simply enhanced and reinforced what, what I had already felt in my heart. I was kind of, you know, kind of maybe I was seeking some validation so to speak and that is a an immature uh but also very human thing to do is to seek validation and in, in understanding and seek others that that 
might have a similar understanding. I mean, I think that's what we do as humans is that we we really like it when we say something and we're and and another person gets it. I think there's a, there's a real great value to that as a human being. I think that's kind of a reward that we kind of live for is is to to be able to speak to another and then really get what you're saying. So to get right to the heart of the matter, there is a lot of talk about the concept of Lucifer from the Freemasonic point of view. Oh, yes. What can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, what do, what do you want me to say about Lucifer? What is it you would like? Uh, I mean, let's just, let's, just, let's just jump on that elephant in the room's back and, 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 uh, and deal with it. What, what, what is it about Lucifer that you'd like to know? Who is Lucifer to the Freemasons? And at what degree do you start discussing it? Frankly, there, I don't recall the, the name Lucifer coming up in any of the in, in any Masonic other than what you found in Morals and Dogma. See, you have to understand, are you familiar with the term Midrash? No. Okay. Midrash, if you're familiar with Judaism at all, uh, Midrash is, okay, so when you're looking at, say, the Talmud the, or even the, the Torah, there is what's called Midrash that that uh, very famous uh, rabbis throughout history have looked at the text and then they give a commentary on that text that surrounds the text. So when you open the book, you have a bunch of writing around the actual text that's in the center of the page. And so uh, basically the stuff that some of the more fantastic stuff that comes out is a result of Masons contemplating the degree work that they had been through and then giving their reflection of it, their midrash, their, their reflection of, of what they see. And so, and that comes down to arguments. And usually there's sort of a consensus whenever a midrash is published, at least among the group or schism or whatever it is that is arguing a particular point, they are giving their reflection of it. And, and if it, once it comes as close to a consensus as they can get, that's what ultimately gets published. So, and that could be a group of five guys, it could be a group of a hundred guys, you just, you know, a thousand, you just never know what all is behind what is published. But these are individual reflections. So there, there is no definition in the last three degrees besides the 33rd degree that really brings the concept of light or Lucifer into sharp focus? I personally have not witnessed that. And, uh, and but it wouldn't matter it, if it was, it would, it, based on my understanding uh, of what Lucifer is, uh, it, it, it wouldn't matter if it did or not. I mean, this is the this is the. Uh, let me read you, if I could, before we just go a little further. I have a uh, another little quote, if I may. I'd like to share. It's a quote by um, Eckhart Tolle. You familiar with him? I've heard the name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he said a group needs enemies because without enemies, its identity cannot continue to be identified. Look at all the conflict between tribes nations, and religions. They need their enemies because they provide the sense of separateness on which their collective egoic identity depends. So as long as we see, you know, it's kind of spooky when we hear the word Lucifer, um, you know, like it's an enemy or something like that. But what did Jesus say about, what did Jesus say about our enemies? He said, love thine enemies, right? Oh, yes. He also he, said he, that, that that was the prince of this world. He didn't say not to love him, though. 
I I don't know. (laughs) I guess I won't split hairs here, but I, I, for me, those are two separate concepts. It's stated that um, basically Satan is the prince of this world and he does in fact say turn the other cheek, but uh, you know, we're, we're mixing old Testament and new Testament. When you earlier talked about Judaism, I think a lot of people listening take umbrage with these things because they've researched things like the Talmud, where it says things like you can take a goy, you can cheat them, you can lie to them, you can do all these these things. So, on the face of it, that's insulting to a logical mind, to a common sense mind. And when we find these organizations that are built on these foundational principles over and over, Freemasonry references the first five books of the Bible, which is the Old Testament, which is the Torah, but to take it further, we even have records these days from people like Sir Paul McCartney, who just posted his memoirs, stating openly uh, that the highest reaches of Freemasonry are, are Luciferian, Satanistic. He claims he's not, and he also claims he's a high-ranking Freemason, but I think these are the really foundational roots Jason is trying to get at here, um, and I'm wondering if you can address them, because from my point of view, if you have a, a religious document like the Talmud that says flat out, if you're not one of us, you can be lied to, cheated, you can even be killed in some interpretations of what those things say, and then in other publicly available things saying, well, the lower ranks of this organization, referring to Freemasonry, have no idea that by the time they get to the upper reaches, it's going to be all about Satanism. And I think this is kind of where it was going, and I'll be blunt. (laughs) Can can you address these types of ideas? I appreciate the bluntness. I really do, because I think these are issues that need to be brought out and need to be identified, uh, because we, you know, we... Do you, I think it'd be good for me to, to give you a description, my understanding, because, see, it's pointless for me to, to try to describe Freemasonry you, but rather what I have come up with as a result of my exposure to Freemasonry. Would, would you agree? Sure. Okay, so would you like me to give my understanding of what Lucifer is? I, I think it's all an individual can do is, is offer up their understanding, so, you know, that's fair sure. game, right? Fair enough. So I'll, I'll do that, and I'll... I would like to say or offer that Lucifer, if we want to use a, um, an illustration, consider the, the Wizard of Oz, a movie that we've all seen. Okay, the, there was a point in the movie where Dorothy and the Tin Man and the, the, the Cowardly Lion and Toto confronted this big alien being that was you know, really kind of a, a despot. You know, he was very, very aggressive, very, you know, just, just uh, you know, a dictator, tyrant type entity. But it was big and it was scary and it, and, it, and it appeared real, right? And then ultimately Toto went and pulled the curtain back. And of course, the, uh, the Wizard of Oz stated that he you know, don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Now, the audience, the observer watching that, okay, Toto is not, the, is not Lucifer. The curtain is not Lucifer. Lucifer is that very brief moment when we make the distinction that that which we used to believe is now disintegrated, and now what we can clearly ascertain as true knowledge is realized, but there's a point in the mind when we are resisting that knowledge that it truly is a man behind, because part of us wants to believe the fantastic. Part of us wants to, uh, it, it, it reinforces our uh, kind of 
I don't know if it's natural, but our nature to to uh, subordinate ourselves to some external uh, Zeus-like entity, rather than turn it inward and and find the true man behind the curtain, which is within us. So it is that moment of light. Lucifer's called the light bringer, right? He brings the light. So essentially, Lucifer. But now here's the thing. Now, if we take the allegory forward and and further. We can say, okay. So I appreciate where you were headed um, in that response. It's almost as if we could sum up what you just said, that Lucifer is both the boogeyman and then the mechanism by which the boogeyman is overcome. That idea uh, I appreciate as an idea, but uh, I think unfortunately for me, it doesn't reflect exactly what we see in the highest reaches of of uh, the governing of our world, which I think in fact is is reflected in the idea put forth in the Bible uh, that Satan is the prince of this world. That's a heck of a thing to say um, when when you begin to logically break it down. You know, you're being presented with a redeemer who's basically telling you, but the boss of this place is this bad thing. And it's almost like this whole conversation is about children or, and let me rephrase that, almost like this whole conversation is like animals who don't know any better and then human beings who have figured it out. And the idea of the prince of this world or the darkness or any other label we could put on it is that division between a lower, what we will call an animal, which was reflected in the idea of the book Dune, when Paul Atreides was told, if you can't prove yourself human, you'll be put to death right now. We're going to tell you that your hand is on fire. There's your demon. There's your boogeyman. Um, it's going to hurt like hell. And every instinct in you is going to be trying to pull your hand out of this box. But we're telling you flat out, if you pull your hand out of this box, we're going to kill you dead because you're not a human being. Because a human being can logically reason that the pain that you're feeling and the, the imaginary burning up of your hand is nothing more than illusion. And so in that storyline, Paul Atreides manages to keep his hand in the box, pulls it out, fully expecting to see a burnt stump, having lived and being granted the title or the recognition as being a reasoning human being. And I think all these ideas have come together, but unfortunately, to put maybe not such a positive spin on the end of these acceptable ideas, because I find all these ideas acceptable, is that the upper reaches of those in power have in fact succumbed to power, and they are now engaged in things that are that are not helping anyone overcome any illusion. I completely agree, but the, 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 thing, the thing of it is, is that, let me give you another example, another example of, of, of Lucifer, and the perception of Lucifer from one perspective and from another perspective. Okay, let's take the example of Robin Hood and the Sheriff of Nottingham, okay, and, and the people that Robin Hood is assisting. To the people, Robin Hood is Christ. He has just not just attempted but manifested wealth for them to, to be able to purchase food and clothing and shelter, okay? So to those people, he is Christ. But what is he to the Sheriff of Nottingham? Is he Christ? No, no, he would be, he would be the, the opposite. Right. He's the devil, right? Okay, so, but no, Christ to the sheriff of Nottingham is the tax collector, the one that extracts the wealth from the, from the group that Robin Hood was assisting. So, but that tax collector to the people is Satan, you see. So, so this is, it's, it's a matter of perception. Right. And so that that's why, that's why both Jesus and the devil are referred to as the morning star. So, Same so guy. He- 
Well, here, here's my problem in the modern context. I agree wholeheartedly. It's so so well stated what you just pointed out. Point of view is everything, isn't it? Um, but in the modern age, we see people doing very unhelpful things. I mean, truly as unhelpful things as you could ever delineate from my point of view. Um, we see these things going on, and you could almost imagine that they're saying, well, we're, we're the Wizard of Oz here. We're, we've got the power. We're, we're making this illusion until these stupid animals wake up and don't fall for this nonsensical illusion. So, in fact, all these things that appear to be bad that we're engaged in are actually testing animals to become human beings. And that is, in fact, part of the mindset we have delineated. But here's my problem. The deck at this point, is stacked so heavily against the common living man or woman as yeah. to almost be an unwinnable game. And so if we look back to a time, supposedly, maybe let's just randomly say a couple hundred years ago when people engaged in farming for their food, uh, the deck was not nearly as stacked as where we find it now. When in fact, these very unhelpful people at very high reaches of, of society if we'll use that word, are engaged in things that are so unhelpful, they've actually spun a whole illusory existence. And what it comes down to is if we compared ourselves to the person out plowing a field who was, in fact, living under one kind of illusion, the illusion has gotten so much more all-encompassing. And from my point of view, more unlikely that anyone has a prayer of lifting the corner, ripping the fabric slightly to understand that, hey, wait a minute, man, this is an illusion. And so there's my real problem, because it seems as time goes on and the modern age continues, the, the chances for an average person to begin to recognize have become so minuscule as to be a one-sided game, to say the least. I hear what you're saying, uh, Crow, and you and I are uh, on the same understanding. I mean, we, we clearly re recognize the what it looks like an unsurmountable problem, you know, a problem like you said, an unwinnable problem. And uh, the because you have a society that uh, not only supports but uh, it, it encourages, it's a virtue in this country to be a narcissistic sociopath. That's right. And so... If you're up against that. So, the, so elitism is not exclusive to what we perceive as the elite. It's within all of us. Each one of us have elitist concepts, whether we are fully conscious of it or not. And one of the, the best things to do is first confront and acknowledge the elitist within us to recognize that we are, you know, we do have, you know, uh, some of them are natural. Some of them are, you know, I want to be able to distinguish when I'm two years old, my mother from the rest of the mothers in the mall, right? So that there is a degree of, of uh, racism or elitism in that standpoint, because you, to you, your mother in that particular scenario is the superior mother to the rest of them, because that's the one you know. So it's very subtle. This is why that we have the statement, as above, so below. The problems of, you know, let's just say the big devil is the Rothschilds, right? They experience problems just like you and I do, and even homeless people are, you know, people that are in, 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 a, in a, a more difficult station in life. These these problems occur no matter what. I hate even talking about stations and caste and all. I, I really don't like. But it, it, there is a relative reality to that, and so you know, to have an educated conversation, we have to address it from that standpoint. So 
this is why it's so important, no matter where you are, whether you are in a, a, a complete upper echelon of, of economic wealth, or if you are in a lowly state, the problems are the same. And so this is, this is the, this is the, and it, but it's difficult for us because it's very difficult for me to, to think that somebody that's, you know, sitting on a $4 million house and, you know, you know, has an unlimited uh, ability to distract themselves from the uh, suffering that goes on in this world. And I feel like I'm down in the mud, you know, with, with, with the lowlies. And it's hard for me to, to have compassion for somebody who is in it, what appears to be, has the upper hand. But we have no idea to the nightmares that they go through. We're, we're not privileged to that, which they do. They trust me. They do. They have to work extremely hard to maintain their status quo. Well, I, I would actually estimate that people in the position like a Rothschild has problems that are so much larger than the average individual. And I truly no suspect I truly suspect they have may have given up almost everything to hold what they hold. But you see, this brings yeah. us this brings us back to the idea. Uh, so you're going to be an entered apprentice. One of the first things you have to establish to become a Freemason, you have a higher power. Um, that's another way of saying, well, all this got here somehow. So whether you want to say God did it or a creator did it or however you want to try to come to grips with how this place we exist came, somehow it got here and you're recognizing that. Now, when we get to the point where we see things like the Talmud uh, saying, well, these people created by the creator we believe in are worthless. You can lie to them, you can cheat to them, you can kill them, you can do all these things. Or from the highest reaches of banking, where we have read statements where they've called the general public, and that's a derisive word in my view, um, uh, useless eaters. Basically, you're being called an animal. That word is a big rub, rub for me. The, and that, that has been, I found midrash, let's just say, in Freemasonry that had language like that. And it that's, really upset me. And I vocalized that. It's another way of calling you an animal not a human being, not possessing the rights, yet we're going to work from this other thing, which becomes a farce at this point, if you're going to accept the idea of goy or useless eaters, that somehow the grand creator of all this makes mistakes. Because there are human beings here that we're not going to recognize as human beings because they're useless eaters. They're basically animals, right? They have not right. recognized the illusion that we have worked so hard to enforce. But I just wanted to get all that on the table. But, Jason, we're getting kind of close, and I've kind of bogarted the end of this conversation. You want to chime in with the last few minutes we've got for the first hour here? Well, I'd like to clarify, since we are right at the top here, would you say that Freemasons view Lucifer as an actual individual being, or it's more of a concept but not an individual consciousness? There again, we are limited to the explanations given on the reflections of the degree work. So you're, whenever we're dealing, just understand, morals and dogma, is in, in the, in the entire book is just Albert Pike's reflection of how he views the degree just like Sigmund Freud, his method of psychology is based on his problems that he projected out on everybody that you, you, Jason and you, Crow, you know, are ultimately hate your father and you love your, you want to marry your mother and all these things. See, to him, that was his perception. Albert Pike is no different. He's a human being just like Sigmund Freud. And so it's important to understand when we talk about there is no blanket message, unified message that's sent out other than the unity of man and the, uh, the, and, and the fatherhood of God. 
this is, you know, these are, uh, these are, these, that's the more consistent message in Freemasonry rather than Lucifer. You got to realize that when an individual goes into the mysteries of Freemasonry, they're approaching it from their perspective, their series of life ex- experiences, their ex- expectations of, because they're confronting an unknown, so they're creating fictitious expectations when they, before they step foot in there. And so you've got to strip all of that. So you have to address elephants in the room in order to get people passed out of their own head, if that makes sense. You know, I'll, I'll chime in here. For, for me, you know, if you want to look at someone like Albert Pike, I would imagine the average listener probably takes a pretty dim view because of all the things they've seen online about Albert Pike. Um, I leave that to the individual. But when you look at someone who's just an individual who's produced all this text, which has become gospel in some circles, you have to be in logically, if you're a common sense person, asking the question that I learned when I took lifeguard training. When I took lifeguard training, I had one of the best teachers that I've ever had in my life, and he informed everybody there, you're not going to pass if uh, when you jump in that pool and I am faking like I'm drowning. If I can take you down, you will not pass this course. Because to be a lifeguard, first of all, you have to not be drowning and not be drownable. And as we went through this course, this was a pretty compact, buff, little black belt guy. And when you jumped into the pool to try to rescue him and he started fighting back, you realized real quick that even though you're a a, a proficient swimmer, someone in a total state of panic could take you down and drown you. And you learn to do things like, okay, I'm trying to rescue this person who's drowning. They're about to drown me. So I grab them by the hair and the neck and I go straight down to the bottom. And they quit struggling real quick because they do not want to go to the bottom. They want, you know, you learn all these lessons, but that brings us back to the idea of people like Pike, right? So was Mr. Pike free of drowning? Was Mr. Pike still drowning in this world like so many of us? And that is a common sense point of view that I try to bring because the problem becomes we hear the name Pike. We know all the negative attributes by non-Masons that have been attached to it. We know all the positive attributes by member Masons that have been attached to it. But really, the reality of it exists for the individual. We could sit here and say anything we wanted about Mr. Pike, but the truth is the perception of the individual hearing what we were saying is going to determine what they consider to be acceptable about Mr. Pike. So I will add. And, and they, yes, and there again, when you're dealing with an average human being, they are going to project onto what they see from their vantage point. And so Albert Pike will be whatever they need. he needs them to be to either validate their personal uh, belief systems or whatever it is. It's only when you when you are willing to look through the words, not just at the words, not at the surface level, but through the words. And what can I, it's almost like jumping into a dumpster and you know there's a diamond there somewhere, you know, and you have to go through a lot of garbage sometimes to find that diamond. I'm with you, man. But hey, I'll tell you what, we've pushed it right up to the edge. We need to bring the first hour to a close. Um, For everyone listening, we're going to get hard into Gnosticism and cross-reference the things we've been bringing up. And I think this is a good conversation. And I think one of the key things to remember is point of view makes up a lot of this world. But anyhow, that does bring hour one of episode 122 to a close. Upon the posting of this episode, there will be 122 free hours of content at crow777radio.com that does not need a login. 
And if you'd like to become a member for the price of a cup of coffee, you can join us and support free speech, which is so critically important in these times of censorship. There it is, man. I hope to see you all over at Crow777Radio.com for the second hour. Cheers. <laughs>